0: Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 89 of UAB Green and Told, Original release Monday, January 16th, 2023. Through our podcast, we have the chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to check out previous episodes? Visit alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold, Spotify, or the Apple Podcast app. While there, we'd love for you to leave a written review so more alums can find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and Director of Communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. Flatfoot, gumshoe cop. There are many words associated with being a police officer. Some good, some well, not so much. Today's guest spent a career in law enforcement and as Lee Harrison will admit, even alleged bad guy can instill words of wisdom in the life of a young policeman.
1: Here I was out of breath and he was just sitting there all calm and and he told me he said, Lee, I got a little suggestion for you. And I said, what is that? He said, if you'll start treating people with respect, he said, I guarantee complaints on you or any kind of arguments about you or anything will go away. From then on, Lee will tell you he was a different
0: man. Still, it would take him years from that time until he enrolled at UAB.
1: As he'll share,
0: his life adventure culminated with a moment he'll never forget.
1: I was so fortunate to be able to have my parents and my wife and twins were there when I walked across the stage. Um, And that feeling was just an amazing feeling. I can still feel it right now. Today, his career has shifted away from nabbing criminals to planting
0: produce. While his products are on the up and up, you may be surprised where some of his research
1: came from. Believe it or not, once I started learning, I would get the High Times magazines in my patrol car and they know what they're talking about.
0: From wearing a police badge to developing a green thumb, it's easy to see that Lee Harrison's career pivoted completely from being a cop to growing produce hydroponically. His journey to and through UAB was both challenging and satisfying, one that most would not want to share. As we get started with Lee's story, we have to begin with his family moving from coastal Florida to central Alabama back in 1980.
1: Where I grew up, we were right on the beach. All of our family lived there, so we had a really close family. We'd have, um, you know, uh, seafood bakes every Sunday. The whole family, both sides of the family would be there. And then the company my dad worked for, which was a shoot-off of Bell South, that was Bell back then, uh, moved him to Clay County, Alabama. So we went from knowing everybody, being around everyone we knew, to living in a house on 40 acres and our closest neighbor was about a mile away and it was dark and we couldn't sleep because of crickets. I'm all joking aside, it was a rather interesting, I still remember it to this day because growing up in a city where there's light everywhere and then coming to the country where there's no light is a huge, huge jump.
0: You made a career out of law enforcement and, and that's kind of what you did early on as a young adult. How old were you when you first became a police officer and and where were you working at the time?
1: I started in Coosa County as a jailer in 1991 or 92. Um, I think I was maybe 22. And as a jailer, I got to see sides of law enforcement that were different than what I saw as a law enforcement officer, uh, working with convicted murderers and people that do things like that but my passion for law enforcement kind of grew from seeing some of the older generation of law enforcement which are a lot different than what law enforcement officers are today uh, they were a little bit more laid back where i was working at in Coosa county you know it's kind of like everyone knew everyone and if somebody did something we knew who did it and, but there are some really great influences where i worked at that were i would just say good old-fashioned law enforcement people that you kind of look up to, kind of like the John Lane era of law enforcement. They were very honest and open, and they taught me you know, the integrity aspect of law, law enforcement. And that's kind of where I got the drive to want to be a police officer.
0: You became a police officer after a short stint as a jailer. What kind of things were you able to do? What did you want to do for your career, and how did you want to see that kind of expand?
1: I've always wanted to just be a good member of, you know, of the community and be a good example for kids and for other aspects of the community. A lot of times, I think police officers kind of get in that mediocre drive where they just they are there. They just react to calls, things like that. Um, I made it a really a weird choice. I would go into projects and places like that and I would make contact with people that a lot of, a lot of police officers would just stay away from. And I get out and play basketball with them, or you know, a lot of the lower income areas. I get out and just be, be me. I call it just being me because that's who I am. I like to be around people, like to talk to people, and I didn't care what kind of background they had. I've always looked at it as, you know, underneath any kind of color of skin or anything that they were poor or rich, we are all human beings. So. I always looked at everybody as a human being that may be in a different circumstance. And so I took that opportunity to try to, one, help them or take them out of their reality of, uh, you know, what they were living in and giving them a chance to just have a little bit of joy and not always see police officers as a bad person, but just as a person. So that's kind of my goal throughout my whole career is being like that.
0: How receptive was the public to you? you know, when you were patrolling the streets of Greenville?
1: To be honest with you, um, just like any police officer, and I don't care what kind of police officer they say they are, your first year or two, you're going to be a little bit of hard hit. Um, and you know the type I'm talking about, the I'm super cop, I'm yep. going to write the most tickets, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. That's just the reality. Most, most cops, when they first start, they've got that rookie mentality and they want to just be the best of the best. It took a very hard example for me to to change that. Uh, I got into an altercation with a gentleman and his name was Bruce Lee, believe it or not. And we got into a really bad situation. Um, when we got to jail, here I was out of breath and he was just sitting there all calm and, and he told me, he said, Lee, I got a little suggestion for you. And I said, what is that? He said, if you'll start treating people with respect and talking to them just like Meaning, you're talking, he said, I guarantee complaints on you or any kind of arguments about you or anything will go away. And I took that man's advice and lived by it the rest of my career because it changed me fundamentally about how I treated people. And from then on, if somebody complained that they got a ticket, well, they couldn't complain that I was rude or obnoxious or whatever the case may be the chief or whoever would say, well, was he ugly? No, he was very nice. He was very polite. He treated me with respect. So I think that little, that incident changed me to a completely different person. Uh, and I thank him every day uh, for making you know that that impact on my life. So I strive to do that the rest of my career.
0: How many different police departments did you work with?
1: Um, when I left Greenville, I went to the Talladega Police Department. Okay. Um, I stayed there for several years. And then I was asked to be chief of police in Wadley, Alabama. At the time I was 30 years old and I thought, well, gosh, I mean, that's a great move. Go be a chief of police. And that is not a job I would ever want for anybody. That is a headache. Um, I didn't stay there probably a year and a half. And then I went to uh, work for the sheriff's department um, and worked in the housing authority. So I worked in three counties, worked for the housing authority um uh, was the chief investigator, I had a canine, things like that. I did that for several years. And then uh, after that, I kind of went into the private sector Actually, I went to work for Walmart and lost prevention and kind of got out of the law enforcement aspect of it. One, they paid better uh, as a private sector. Uh, and two, I'll just I'll just say get, I got tired of fighting people, working in some of the areas. And back in the late 90s or early 90s was back when the crack epidemic was really bad. Sure. And so there was a lot of, um, if you remember that, it was a lot of tension with police. And no matter how hard you try as a police officer to be nice to people, in those circumstances, when you're trying to effect an arrest or you're going in, this was back when people would carry Uzis and things like that. And um, I worked on the SWAT team and had to, like I said, had a canine. So I will go in places and uh, deal with people that were not very nice. So um, I've actually been stabbed before and I can, you know, there's been times that we've been shot at and things like that. So there was a lot of, you know, after almost 20 years of doing that, I needed to get away from it. The, the reality of PTSD and law enforcement is real Um, There's a lot of of police officers that deal with it. So I decided to get out of it for a while and then uh, worked for Walmart and moved to Gadsden, Alabama. Uh, But then after that, I went to work for Glencoe, and that's where I retired from, Glencoe Police Department in Etowah County.
0: Your journey with UAB is completely different than pretty much everybody because each person has a unique story. But yours is even different because... You didn't go to UAB right out of high school. It took you a little bit of time to find your way to Birmingham and into the College of Arts and Sciences to get a criminal justice degree. What led you down that route?
1: My my mother didn't get a degree and my father, he went to school. There was four kids in our family. And while we were in high school, he he worked two full-time jobs, a part-time job, and he went to, uh, what was back then Central Alabama Community College. I don't know what it is now, but it was in Alex City. Um, And he got his two-year degree. And I always wanted to get a four-year degree to be the first one in my family to get one and to make him proud because none of our family had had done that before. When I was working at Talladega Police Department in 1996, there was a professor that came from Gadsden State and he was working with law enforcement officers to give them the opportunity to get their degree, knowing that most of us had to work two and three jobs because of the pay. He was doing a school on, on nights in Pell City. And so it took me probably 14 years to get my two-year degree. And then once I got my two-year degree, my wife, her name is Leanne, said that I need to continue and finish up with my bachelor's degree. I'd work undercover up in North Alabama and then I would drive and come down to take a class because we didn't have online classes at that time when I was going. Yeah, my journey was working two full-time jobs and then driving from either North Alabama back down to Birmingham or wherever I was at and driving to school so that I could make it. And luckily I had some awesome, awesome teachers. Without them, I would have never made it through You know, through graduating school, they were the utmost epitome of professionalism. And UAB just embraced me and helped me knowing that I had to work and knowing that me being a 35 or 36 year old working in North Alabama and working all over, the teachers were accommodating. And for that, I'll I'll be forever grateful to UAB. And and I, I love, you know, I love UAB for it.
0: How difficult was it to to juggle everything? Because here you are, doing undercover work, North Alabama. You've got your studies. Oh, by the way, two kids and a wife.
1: Twins. I have twins. Um, our twins were born three months early. Um, so and this was while I was going to school, doing that and working, and it was a it was a challenge. I mean, I didn't make straight A's. Uh, I did make A's and B's and. Um, a few Cs, I'll be honest with you, um, but I fulfilled my dream of getting a four-year degree from UAB, and it took me a long time and a lot of. There was a lot of challenges, uh, but with my wife and then, my I was so fortunate to be able to have my parents, and my wife and twins were there when I walked across the stage, um, and that feeling was just an amazing feeling. I can still feel it right now, and it's been, gosh, 11 years now.
0: What do you think was the biggest challenge of doing everything that we just talked about, juggling everything, the biggest challenge of being a student at UAB with everything that you were you're having coming with you?
1: The biggest struggle for me was making sure that I got to class, knowing that I had to be at work at, say, six o'clock up in North Alabama. My class got through at 4.30, trying to get through Birmingham traffic, going up 59 all the way to poor pain and then up in that area. So I think that was probably my biggest struggle. And then when the kids were born, juggling the fact that we had two kids in intensive care for two to three months, and then my wife as well, um, having issues from from having our our kids. Without her determination, I think I probably would have just quit because I was just, it was so stressful, but she would say, don't quit. You're not quitting. You've made it this far. You know, talk to your professors, and I was always open with them, even when I was struggling and couldn't, couldn't make it. There were just so many, so many people that would say, "Hey, don't quit." When I, when I'm sure they could look at me being tired and barely being able to stay awake, and they would go, "Hey, you know, here's some notes you may have missed, or, you know, things like that." I think the whole camaraderie of the classes that I took with the people that I took them with was one of the best things that helped me through. Plus, my wife and you know the occasional call from my mom, going, "Hey, are you okay? And hey, don't quit. You're doing great. We're proud of you." Uh, I think things like that. The the UAB campus itself, uh, people there were very, very helpful.
0: After you graduated, you didn't remain in law enforcement for very long. I mean, you were almost to 25 years of service, and you wound up retiring. And you. You kind of pivoted a little bit because here you are now kind of getting back to your roots. You you were on that 40-acre farm back as a kid, and now you're running a farm.
1: Yes, that's correct. Back in 2010, we started a farm called Gardens on Air. We were Alabama's very first vertical aeroponic farm, uh, one of the very first in the country. Um, We were the very first one to be USDA-certified organic. Uh, using aeroponic equipment in the whole country Uh, so that was um, we did that for people we started that for people with cancer we we know people that have cancer and we found that a lot of produce and a lot of food that we have has come from different countries at that time there was not a, a lot of awareness of how many chemicals are on the produce that we actually buy and if you know anyone that has cancer, any kind of chemical that's on something they eat can affect what they're taking, their medicine or anything like that. So we started doing that to help them. We would grow wheatgrass so they could juice it. We grow lettuces. Um, at one time, we were working with Space Camp up at, um, in Huntsville. We've been trying for the past 12 years to get our systems into the school systems because most of the places... Like these huge farms, all they want to do is get into Publix or Whole Foods, or which we were. We were about to sign with Publix for 88 stores. We were in Jimmy John's, um, all the Piggly Wiggly's in Birmingham. We were in four states in Earth Fair. When COVID hit, we had to shut down and pretty much lost everything that we had started. So in 2019. So now we've restarted, we bought an old grocery store, it's about 25,000 square feet, and we're in the process of remodeling it, and that one grocery store will be able to produce around 50,000 head of lettuce a week. And our goal is to provide that for the school systems in Alabama, because most, you know, like I said, most places are more attuned to the commercial side, where we've, looked, we've sat back and looked in places like especially in the uh, black belts of Alabama and the lower income or the underserved areas, you've got all this place that they could be growing their own food and nobody's willing to help them. They just wanna make that money. They wanna get in these stores. So it's our mission to build these in every community that we can so they can feed themselves. Kind of like back when, before you and I were born, you know, they'd have farms and people would trade Some farmers will do beef and some would do, you know, do tomatoes and corn and you'd have different trades. So what we want to do is take old buildings and you can go anywhere in Alabama and find them and refurbish them and make them into a farm and provide that farm for that community so they can, you know, they can feed themselves. They can hire people at a good wage and they know where the food's coming from for their kids and for the community. So that's what our goal is.
0: Obviously, this is not a, a market that's probably easy to get into, you know, growing heads of lettuce, growing anything. Basically, I'll just say on a string that's in the air. What went into discovering how to do this and then making it literally grow?
1: Well, I was lucky enough, my brother, Timmy, he, he actually came up with the name and he's the one that introduced me to the idea in 2010. I've never heard of it, you know, being a cop. You know, I've seen high times where people will grow things hydroponically. And believe it or not, once I started learning, I would get the high times magazines in my patrol car and they know what they're talking about. They know how to do grafts. They know how to, you know, reproduce a plant that's a good plant, uh, clone it, things like that. Um, So a lot of it I learned from reading high times magazine as a police officer, which was really odd to me. Um, and then trial and error, you know, we we were fortunate enough to find a person in Florida who had invented a system called Airgrown Towers, which uh, their system worked very well for what we were looking to do and what we we're trying to do. And then when we got theirs, I started building my own, you know, products to grow because I figured out how to do most of it. So um, so I just build most of it myself now. And we're in the process of working with a company called Fort farms, and they are going to be partnering with us to get in every educational system in Alabama. It just it took us a while, but that's what we're what we're wanting to do.
0: Right now you have a GoFundMe set up to kind of help yes. facilitate things. Talk a little bit about that and, and what you're hoping to accomplish.
1: My wife and I, our son goes to Cusa Christian School in Etowah County, uh, which is a, a, a 501c3, you know, school, private school, church school. And so they don't have funds, you know, like most public schools don't have funds. And we actually had a system that we weren't using. So we donated that to them. So now they're going to be able to grow around 200 heads of lettuce a week for their school. And it's a small school. uh, But my son, who's grown up in this since he was two years old, we've been doing this. And he's actually going to be helping teach the kids how to grow and teach the teachers so that he can help feed his own classmates in that school so what we're trying to do with hoax bluff with our gofundme now is every system for a a classroom will cost around fifteen thousand dollars now that includes the systems everything they need and that includes just a little bit for us to go there every week for a whole year to take care of the system and make sure that they're you know they're up to what they need to do and so that's what we're trying to do is is we're trying to do that as a pilot you know, school, Hoax Bluff High School, and we've already talked to um, the superintendent of Etowah County and they're wanting to do it in all the schools, but since we are our business is in Hoax Bluff, we wanted to do Hoax Bluff first because that's our business area and we wanted to provide, you know, their their kids with what we're doing.
0: Considering you spend so much time um, in community college and then at UAB going to school for criminal justice. Mm-hmm. How has that kind of helped where you are now?
1: You know, I've seen both sides of criminal justice. Uh, I think one of the biggest fallacies that people don't understand is that when people go to jail and then they get out of jail, that, you know, they're rehabilitated. But in reality, the recidivism rate of criminals is very high, especially in Alabama, especially in in the rural parts of Alabama. So I think that What I learned as a police officer seeing, we'll just say Joe. So Joe would be arrested. He'd go to jail for 30 days, 60 days, a year. He'd get out with what he came in with. He's got nothing. You know, if there's no family structure to help, he's got nothing. So I think what helped me being a law enforcement and then now doing this is is having the compassion for somebody that's committed a crime. And I'm not talking about people that commit murder. I'm talking about people that just do make a stupid mistake. Something small, nothing violent. Uh, One of the things that we want to do is to hire people that come out of jail and give them a job, give them a second chance. And I think having the aspect of being a cop and knowing what people do after they get out of jail and knowing that if they had a chance, if they'd only had that chance, you know, if they had... If we help one person that comes out of jail to succeed and to make it, then that's one less person we have to worry about putting back in jail. Um, I can tell you one thing is our company will never turn away somebody that's hungry. Um, If they come in and they need something, we're gonna do our best to get them something to eat.
0: That's Lee Harrison. After his lengthy educational journey, Lee earned his bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the College of Arts and Sciences in 2011. Today, Lee is co-founder and COO of Gardens on Air, a hydroponic farm that provides year-round produce. Lee has reflected back on his days at UAB fondly and has a great idea of what it
1: means to be a Blazer. To me, being a Blazer means community. I mean, Because if you look at the Blazer community, Um, It's not located in one spot in Birmingham. It's spread out throughout Birmingham. You can look and there's a, at the campus and where it's, it's almost like fingers and tendrils throughout the whole community. We've got buildings over here and over here. So the Blazers to me is an infiltrating, compassionate college that is in the whole community because they have places everywhere for different, you know, for different aspects of it. So that's what it means to me to be a Blazer.
0: I'd like to invite you to listen to previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. Check us out at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone we should reach out to? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media. Search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers.